0: Good morning. morning. Hi. You guys are like pretty quiet this morning. Usually you're a little chattier. (laughs) Well, Happy New Year. I haven't gotten to say Happy New Year to all of you yet. So Happy New Year. It's good to see you all. Um, We have a couple of announcements before we start this morning. So the first is just that. For those of you who use like the giving envelopes the trinity giving envelopes um, we're still waiting on the 2023 giving envelopes to come in from the vendor Um, and so if you are feeling lost um, you can still give online we want to say thank you to everyone who gives faithfully that's it just helps us be able to do what we do here it helps further the gospel it helps us with our ministries here at trinity Um, and so you can still give online four different ways um, no, I'm sorry, you can give four different ways. One of them is online. Okay, so there's, you can go to trinityfairfield.org give and fill out that page there. You can also go on the Trinity app and press the give button. Ah, there are the genera- generosity boxes in the back right behind Barrett. Barrett, can you wave? Hi Barrett, yay, it's right behind her. Okay, <laughs> um, and then there's also one out in the lobby. And then you can also mail your, mail your donation and your tithe in, okay? Um, we just thank you guys so much for continuing to support this church and this family. And I always think of it as, like, we're giving back to the Lord, and it blesses us in turn, too. Like, even the things that we give back to the Lord are then used to bless us, um, which is just God's, God's just so cool. Um, There was also an adult discipleship class that started this morning with um, taught by Bob Walter, and it's called the Disciples Course. So it started this morning, it continues through February 26th. They're meeting at 8.30 in the morning in the patio room. Um, I always, like, part of me, I love being here, obviously, early on Sunday mornings, but I would also love to be in Mr. Walter's class. So um, my mom's laughing because I still can't call him Bob. (laughs) It's still just this. I can't. Okay, so on January twenty-first, there is a women's brunch, and the theme is winter wonderland. And so if you are a woman and you would like to eat brunch, this is a great thing for you. Um, It will be at 11 in the morning. Ruth El-Turque is our speaker, um, which will be wonderful. I'm excited. Um, You can sign up in the lobby. It's $10 for a catered breakfast. We all get to sit and eat together and talk and do some worship songs, usually, and um, hear Miss Ruth speak. So that will be wonderful. So with that, um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll sing, Okay. God, I just thank you so much for this morning, Lord. I thank you um, for just the way that you orchestrate our world, Lord. I thank you for the beginning of a new year. Um, We've made it through the first week, which the time always seems to fly. Um, God, I pray that you help us just to treasure each moment and to not take anything for granted. Um, And I pray for the word that's going to be delivered this morning, Lord. I pray that it would fall on soft ears that are able to listen and able to... um, be slow to speak and quick to listen, Lord. Um, God, help us to approach this morning with a sense of maturity and a sense of um, awe. And um, God, we're here because we love you and we want to learn about you. And so I pray that you would just be tangibly here with us this morning. Um, We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, will you stand with us?
1: foreign to us to gather in a room one day out of the week and to give our attention to a God who is above and beyond the world we're living in. And and so I want to take a moment just to recognize we're here for a reason, and not just because this is what we have to do or or, or this is what is required of us, but to recognize that we have a relationship with the God of all creation. And part of that is in gathering together as a, a, a church family, and being able to encourage one another and being together and, and recognize what God is doing among us. And one of those things is celebrating new life, celebrating the addition to a family of a new life, a child joining into that family, but not just because, hey, we get a, a child to to laugh with and enjoy and take pictures of, uh, a child to wake up at night and change diapers and calm down and feed and all those things, things that parents are well aware of, but to recognize that God is doing something unique and amazing through the gift of this new life. And as a church family, we like to take the time to celebrate that. We want to come alongside these families that are making decisions to to raise their children to know and love the Lord. And so this morning, we get to celebrate dedicating two children unto the Lord and celebrating with families their decision to raise their children. And the fear and the admonition of the Lord. So I'd love to invite the Slosky family up and the Hughes family up, and you can come on up. And I'd love to have you all come and join us because it's important for, not only for us to see who you are, but for you to be able to look out and see the church family that wants to support you and encourage you uh, in in this endeavor that you are going about. So uh, Sarah and Chris and family, come on over here. Shane, how you doing, buddy? You good? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? Scratches happen. But you know what? You got back up, right? You okay? Is the scratch getting better? Okay, you know what? Let's. I'm going to take a moment if it's okay. I'm going to pray for Shane. Shane. Shane's a little concerned. So Shane, can I pray for your scratch? Is that okay? Yeah? All right. Father, we thank you for Shane. We thank you for his honesty. We thank you for the fact that we get to lift him before you and know that you are the God of all creation. You created this precious boy. We pray that you would heal his scratch, Lord. Calm his heart. Help him in this time to know that you are a God who is reaching out to him, who loves him, and will help heal his body just as as he desires. And so, Lord, we ask you to do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so dedicating children unto the Lord, raising them up. That's not an easy thing. The psalmist says in Psalm 127, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the, the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is a man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. If anything, church, I want us to hear that this idea of raising up children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord is no simple task. And it is not possible apart from inviting the Lord into that task with us to join us. To, to actually empower us, to give us wisdom. I don't know if, you, if this happened for you, but when, when, when Tar and I welcomed our children into this world, we weren't given a manual. We weren't told, this is how you change a diaper. Well, actually, we were told how to change a diaper. But, but, I mean, this is one person's opinion. There's many ways you could change a diaper. I mean, ask any dad. It gets creative, right? But, but more importantly, there is no simple plan for how you're to raise these children to know the wisdom of God, his love for them, and his plan for their life. And so this very fact is the reason we're here today, to to encourage these families as they seek to invite the Lord into raising up these children to know him and to love him and to follow him all the days of their lives. And so parents, I want to ask, first of all, let me introduce to you guys, we have the Hughes family here, Hugh down there on that end, and Carrie here, and Carrie is here with James, James, that looks like a cozy outfit, I wish I wore mine today actually, yeah, yeah. And then we have Sarah and Chris Slosky over here, and here's Logan. Logan, I am jealous of your hair. Yeah. I I, I know. I once once had hair. Yeah. 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 He's laughing that I said I once had hair. Is that interesting? Okay. Okay. And so we are here to celebrate with them this invitation to to bring their children before the Lord, to seek the Lord's blessing on their children, but then also to dedicate themselves to raising these children up to know the Lord and to trust him. So, parents, I want to ask you guys a couple of questions, and and it's a simple response. I'll lead you in the response uh, as long as it's in the affirmative. Do you now present your children before God in solemn dedication? If so, answer, we do. Do you consecrate yourselves as parents to bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? If so, answer, we do. Do Do you promise to instruct him in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the practice of prayer and to guide him in the development of a Christ-like character? Do you promise to try, by God's grace, to shape the home life of your child, both by example and by your word and your conduct, that at the proper time, he will come to an open confession of Christ and membership in Christ's church. If so, answer, we do. Excellent. Well, what I'd like to do at this time is I want to take a moment and, and actually introduce the children to the congregation. And so, <laughs> hey, buddy, how are you? James, like, he's like, hmm. James, do you see your family right there? Yeah, you see all them? You're good, right? You're like, what's going on here? You know all that. You, you know him? Church, you have a big bear. Is that your brother? Is, is he a bear? No. Oh, he's got a sleeper on? Yeah. I wish I had my sleeper on sometimes. Church, this is James. Can you guys say hi to him? James is a gift. Yeah, yeah.
2: Say hi, hey, everybody. Hello.
1: Will you join me in bowing our heads as we pray for James? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this young life, this young man. And Lord, you know the days ahead of him. You know what you have planned for him. You know the future that is, that is before him. And, and Lord, we pray your blessing upon him, that you will raise him up in such a way that he would know you, that he would know the, the blessing of, your, of, of faith in Christ and to, to walk in the family of God. Lord, we pray that that he would do that as he grows in the family, the Hughes family, that you will um, uh, endeavor to uh, share your wisdom through Hugh and through Carrie, that they would be an example of your love and your grace, that he would know through his brothers and sisters what it means to be a child of God. Lord, we ask your blessing upon him today. But just as Jesus invited the children to come unto him for a blessing, we seek this blessing for James. Bless him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. James, we got your back, buddy. See that? We are for you, buddy. We're with you. We're supporting your parents as they raise you to know and love the Lord. I'll go to this end because you've got only—there you go, buddy. And then down here we have Logan. Logan, hey buddy, come to Mr. Baldman for a little bit.
2: <laughs>
1: come to me. You ready? We're going to introduce you to the church too. She's mommy and daddy and everyone. Okay, now let's go look at your church family. Trinity, will you say hi to Logan for me?
2: Hello, Hello everybody. Hello.
1: Imagine your yeah, matches my jacket. How about Right, this, like this, right? Our hair, sorry, I won't, I won't jostle you around too much. I don't want you throwing up on me. You say hi. Trinity, can we pray for Logan? Heavenly Father, I thank you so very much for the gift of life you've given us in Logan. Lord, would you bless him, pour out your love upon him? Will you give Chris and Sarah wisdom as they raise him in the family of God? May he see in his parents the example of God's love and grace and forgiveness. May they see an example of what it means to walk in obedience to Christ, to to live as a child of God. Lord, we pray your blessing upon him in the days to come, that you'll keep him, you'll guard his steps, you'll guide his ways, and that when the day comes, he he, he will, in such an excited way, make that decision himself to join the family of God, to to be a member of Christ's church by his own profession of faith. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing upon him, just as we asked for James, that you would bless Logan, bless him and keep him, make your face shine upon him, be gracious to him, and give him your peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, Trinity. All right. And then... Families, we want you to stay here for one more moment because there's one more piece to this dedication that I think is very important because we're dedicating these parents to raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, but we're doing so in the context of the family of God. And so, church, we're going to recite a pledge together we're going to put up on the screen, and I'm going to ask you not just to say these words, but as you read them, may they be the prayer of your heart that this is not just an act of our mouths giving voice to words, but that we would recite this pledge together and that it would be an expression of the desire of our heart to rejoice with these families, to support them and encourage them so that these families might know that their children are being raised in the context of a church family that loves them and desires that they too would know Jesus. So let's say this pledge together. We rejoice with you and give thanks for the gift of these children. We promise with humility and seriousness to share in your child's nurture and well being. We will support by our example and words your efforts to provide a loving and caring home where trust in God grows and Christ's way is chosen. Amen. Amen. <laughs> if you guys, you can-
0: Just thinking about like seeing those children and how beautiful they are and like how good God is that He gives such good gifts so easily, you know. Um, let's stand and sing. How can I keep from singing? From Psalm 84, verses 1 through 4, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise.
2: Salmo 84,
1: 1 al 4 dice Cuán preciosas, <risa>
2: Cuán preciosas son tus moradas, oh Señor de los ejércitos Anhelaba mi alma y aún deseaba con ansias los atrios del Señor Mi corazón y mi carne cantan con gozo al Dios vivo Aún el ave ha hallado casa y la golondrina en nido para así donde poner sus polluelos tus altares oh señor de los ejércitos rey mío y dios
1: mío cuan bienaventurados son los que moren en tu casa
2: continuamente te alabarán Amen.
0: let's sing holy 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 That you are holy, holy, holy. You are merciful and mighty. And God, we thank you that we get to praise you. It's so awesome. Um, God, you are so good. We give you this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Oh, kids, you are dismissed. Pastor Dan's like pantomiming, like, kids are dismissed. Yeah.
1: And as we sang that song a few moments ago, this thought came to my mind: that I get the sense that we live in a day and age where we are, in some sense. I don't mean this in a bad way or a judgmental way. We're we're we're, we're sensing the spiritual blindness of our world, right? That 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 we can we can have a very clear understanding of the of the this earthly plane, but there's a blindness to what's happening in the heavenly spaces. This idea that, that God is not just sitting up in heaven looking down upon his creation, but there's actually something going on right now as we speak. This reality between heaven and earth that's brought together in Jesus Christ. And so I just think that that's a challenge for us to, to give ourselves permission to think about not just the things that worry us on an earthly plane, you know, jobs and family and health and, 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 and what's ahead for us, what the spring will look like, but to also consider the fact that God desires us to be concerned about what happens and what's happening in the heavenly places. And so when we get a chance to sing a song like, holy, 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 it's a reminder, it's a chance for us to acknowledge and to to, to affirm, but also a reminder of the fact that things are going on right now in the heavenly places, and that we worship a God who cares deeply about what's happening here on an earthly level, even as the, the, the plans of all eternity are unfolding in the heavenly places. Well, It might feel a little odd then this morning, but today we're going to start a three-week series on the latter part of the book of Daniel. Last year, early on in the year, we went through the first six chapters or so in, in chapter 12 of Daniel, the book of Daniel, which is an Old Testament prophet, uh, and, and and now we're going to cover these last few uh, sections of the book of Daniel. And, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hey, what better way to kick off the new year than thinking about uh, about apocalyptic visions and end times in the book of Daniel? And, and you know what? You're not wrong. It's a great way to start the new year, right? Kick things off, kind of light a fire under your, your backside. But But here's what I would say. Preaching on these uh, visions and dreams of Daniel in in the book of Daniel, though it may seem odd, it's something that we do very intentionally. There's a rhyme and a reason to it. There's a purpose to it. And it's not to cultivate fear in us or or a sense of feeling like, man, we've got no clue what God is doing. There's a rhyme and a a reason for even covering these, these strange visions and dreams that Daniel has in the Old Testament book of Daniel. First, first reason I want to share with you, just real quickly as kind of a way of int- introduction to our time together, is that, that I want us to be able to say that we've surveyed the entire book of Daniel, right? I don't necessarily feel like we need to go verse by verse from the pulpit through the book of Daniel, but I want us to be able to say, hey, we didn't skirt around the hard passages of Daniel, and, and not just for me as the preacher, but for us as a congregation, to say, hey, we, we took a look at even the harder passages of the book of Daniel together. There, there, there's value to that. We didn't just look at the, the celebrated uh, Sunday school stories of, of Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the, the fiery furnace. We we took a look at the whole book of Daniel. And it, and it's important for us to recognize that, that these difficult passages in the book of Daniel are valuable for us. They're not just some obscure passage, but, but they bring meaning and, and, and benefit to us as we, as we do the hard work of paying attention to what God is revealing to us through Daniel's visions and dreams. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This word that Paul uses for profitable here means that that it actually enhances our well-being. It it may be kind of difficult, especially when we talk about some of the Old Testament visions and dreams that we come across and and prophecies we come about. It it may be difficult to understand how that might actually enhance our well-being, but but to truly receive the blessings and benefits of God's word for our lives, which I I adamantly, adamantly believe is true for you and I. That God's word will bless us as we lean into it and pay attention to it and and consider what God has has revealed to us. To to truly receive those blessings then, then, we have to be open to every area of scripture. Not just those parts that we enjoy, like poetry, or, or or the narrative of the Gospels, or the history, or the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. It's not just being a a New Testament Christian or an Old Testament Christian. It's it's not being someone who who is attracted to the genealogies, which not many of us are. But but it, it, it's it's considering all of God's word is beneficial to our well-being. All of God's word enhances who we are as children of God in this world. And so the scriptures are, are, are not like a buffet. And you know me by now. I love a buffet. I, I love going along and picking and choosing what foods I want to put on my plate. But, but I also like going through the buffet and choosing what I want to pass over. You may not realize this about me, but I skip over the whole section that's got fruits on it. Like that's that's... That's there for looks. That's to make people feel not so bad about the other foods that they're eating, right? I skip over that. But that's that's not what the Scripture is. The the Scripture isn't meant for us to to, to be drawn to those passages that are easy for us to understand and and to take in. All of Scripture is meaningful and beneficial for our well-being. And so we're going to take a look over the next few weeks at these dreams and visions of the book of Daniel so that we can say we surveyed the entire book of Daniel. And we did it because we believe that all of Scripture is beneficial for our well-being. Even if we don't understand it at first. Even if we don't have that massive aha moment. God's word is living and active. And it's beneficial for our well-being to look at all of Scripture. And so we'll do that through the book of Daniel. The other reason I want us to, to take these next few weeks to cover the remaining section of Daniel is because we need the hope that it offers us. We need the hope that comes from knowing God's plan to rescue and redeem this world from wicked and evil rulers and empires. We need to learn how to, how to then live as citizens of God's kingdom in light of that. In other words, we need to know that if we are children of God, how do we live in a world where we, we feel like we're living in a foreign land? Right? We saw that, practically speaking, in, 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 Daniel's, uh, in Daniel's life early on. But even now in these visions and dreams, Daniel still gives us instruction on how we can live in light of God's future. And live embracing the hope that God offers us through these visions and dreams. See, God's plan all along has been for us to have a king. And not just any king, but for him to be our king. You look at some of the Old Testament stories, and, and, and the history of Israel is our history, right? Israel was, was rescued by God, led into the Promised Land, but then for them to continue to walk seeing, through life, seeing God as their king, was not enough for them. They, they looked at the, the countries around them, the nations around them, and said, Hey, God, we want a king like they have a king. It's not enough for us to have, a, have you to be our king, we, we, want, we want a tangible king we can put our hands on. We can blame for things going poorly, and we can, we, we can worship when we want to worship. We want a king like the nations around us have a king. If you look in 1 Samuel, shortly, I mean, not too long into the book of Samuel, in chapter 8, listen to, to what Israel comes to and says to the prophet Samuel. They said, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. You see that? As a people of God, though God wants to be our king, we, as a people of God, say, no, we want to be like the, the nations. right? But the thing displeased Samuel when they, when, when they said this, and, and when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they've not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. A few uh, years later, the end of the book of Judges, we're, we're told that, you know, in those days there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own heart. See, Israel's history is our history. We, we, have, we have walked that path of history of denying a king, saying, no, we don't need a king. We don't want a king. We don't need to be led and ruled. We want to pick and choose. We want to treat history as a buffet. We want to pick and choose when we, we pick up the foods to eat and when we pass over certain things. We want to pick and choose what's good for us. And we've decided that having a king, to live under his rule and reign, that's not something we want. And so Israel and us, we've rejected God's authority, but God never rejected us. God never abandoned us. God never gave up on his promise to be our king, to hold truthfully all authority in creation, all dominion, and with that power and authority to rule over us with a righteous and just hand, with a loving and gracious hand. So if you look throughout the Old Testament historical books, you'd see that they're overflowing with broken kings. Kings who were selfish and, and wicked. Kings that, that, that were oppressive and, and abused their authority. And ultimately, the people of Israel pay the price. But, but here's the thing. Here's why I think it's important for us to look at the visions and dreams of Daniel in this latter part of the book. Because here in Daniel, God has given his people a vision for where he's going to turn the tide of history. For where he's going to take, what, what trajectory this earthly realm, this, the earthly kingdoms of this world and earthly rulers feel like the, that they've led us on towards destruction and despair and, and, and fear. And God's going to turn the tide in such a way that we as his people can be overflowing with hope even in the midst of living what feels like in a foreign kingdom. See, studying these latter chapters of Daniel should give us hope. Hope in God's certain and guaranteed future. So all of Scripture is beneficial, right? Including Daniel's visions and dreams. All of Scripture is beneficial in making us whole, in making us complete, in equipping us and strengthening us. I want us to understand that this morning, right? That even as we kind of, because we're going we're gonna to read some verses here in a minute that seem obscure, that seem strange. But even in looking at these passages, these passages are meaningful and valuable in making us whole, complete, equipping us, enhancing us, and enhancing our well-being. So, if you will, turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to re- read the first 14 verses of the chapter. We're going to kind of move through these, these verses together. But if you reach a part that kind of stirs your stomach a little bit, that's okay. Don't, don't, don't try to squash it or put it aside. Let it, let it be there a little bit because we're going to we're going to talk about it together this morning. Daniel chapter 7 verses 1 to 14. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matters the, the sum of the matter Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of, the man, of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces, and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in, it, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, And Lord, we pray that your spirit would guide us through it, It would take us to a place where we are overflowing with hope in the promises of God and the, and the future you have for us. So Lord, speak to us through your word, we pray. Amen. Well, so that sounds like a pretty good way to start off January, right? Some light, light reading, some soft uh, literature to study. Well, the type of literature, the biblical literature we're reading here is called apocalyptic Right, And it's unique from some of the other types of literature we see in the Bible, like the poetry of the Psalms or the wisdom literature of Proverbs or the the, the narrative history of the Gospels where it tells the story of Jesus' life. Here in Daniel 7, we have this apocalyptic literature, which is an account of a dream, a, a vision, right? And it's important for us to understand this because it helps us understand what is being communicated through Daniel, right? Now, if, if I want to drive to Pittsburgh from here, I, I don't pull out the Circle Diner's menu and start looking through what they have on the menu for that day. I need a map. I need to look at a map to figure out how to get from Fairfield to Pittsburgh. And, and that's, that is, that, that's the reality here with Daniel, we, not that we need a map, but for us to understand what we're, what we're dealing with in, in, in Daniel in Daniel 7 in particular, is we need to understand we don't need a, a menu to look at. We need a, a map. We don't need a, a way of understanding the poetry of the Psalms to understand what's happening in Daniel. We need to understand what apocalyptic literature is. Apocalyptic literature is a vision and dream that communicates a reality through symbols and, 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 and pictures. right Prophecies prophecies are a little bit different. Those are messages that God has spoken, given to a to man to, to be communicated to a particular people. Like, like in the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, you, you would read in the first few verses of, of that book, you'd read how the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, who, if you kept reading, was commissioned to, to proclaim these words that, that came to him to a particular people, right? But Daniel 7 opens by telling us that in the First year of King Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream. Daniel sees a vision in his head while he lay in his bed. That's important because it tells us that what Daniel sees is, is, is symbolic. It's symbolic of something that is to happen. It's not to say that, that it's fairy tale, that it'll never happen. It's symbolism of what is to come. And so the, the images of Daniel's dream represent something very real and tangible in our world. All right, so what are these images Daniel sees? He sees the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea. He, he, he sees four different and distinct great beasts coming up out of a great sea. The first is like a lion with, with wings, eagle's wings on its back, which get plucked off and, and then leads to the lion walking on two feet like a human. And we're told the, the mind of a man is given to it. The second is is a beast. Uh, the second beast is like a like a bear raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth, and it's being told to arise and devour much flesh. Picture me at a buffet, right? That's a joke, people. I'm not. I don't really. Never mind. <laughs> Apparently, you can't joke when you're dealing with the heaviness of uh, of apocalyptic literature. <laughs> the third beast was like a leopard with four wings and, and four heads, and dominion was given to it, right? But then the fourth beast feels different in Daniel's dream. The fourth beast, it's not even likened to an animal. It's just described as being this terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong beast. It has iron teeth and devours and destroys whatever's in front of it. Whatever's left, it stamps out with its feet. We're told it has ten horns. And out of these ten horns came a little horn that had eyes and 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 the mouth of a man. This little horn plucks these other these three other horns up out of out of out of the beast, and, and sp- speaks arrogantly of great things. Do you get that? You un- you understand what's going on here now? Does it make sense to you? Right? You can you can kind of picture what Daniel's talking about here. No, no, uh, no. I'm, you're not alone, right? See, much of the imagery is lost on us because we find ourselves trying to make sense of a text thousands of years after it was written, right? It's lost on us today, like phrases and gestures of older generations are lost on younger generations. I learned this one this past week when I met with our worship directors. If, if you were to tell a small child to pretend that they're talking on a phone, I mean, growing up, I, I might do this, right? Because we had one of those phones where you had a cord, it plugged in the, into the handpiece, and it went to the wall and was plugged into the wall. And then after that, we eventually had uh, cordless phones where you still did this. You still held it up to your phone, right? I mean, shortly before my time, there, there were those phones where, you know, you had the, the, the handpiece that you spoke into and you had to, like, talk like this. I'm looking at some of you guys. You guys probably remember those days, right? Yeah? Yeah, <laughs> I see some head nods. No. But you ask a young person today to pretend to talk on the phone. You know what they do? This is what I learned this week. They don't go like this. They go like this, right? That seems strange to me. That, that seems odd, right? But, but they're, they're used to this idea of talking on a smartphone. You know, you pull your smartphone out, like if I, if I pull my phone out of my pocket, I put it up to my ear like this, right? Actually, I, actually, I anticipated that they were going to do this, like, because you see everyone, you know, they talk on their speakerphone or, you know, whatever. The idea, the point is that these, these images, these examples are lost on us today, Because we find ourselves living in a different time, in a different place. But for those people that would have heard of Daniel's dream early on, it would have been easier for them to understand what was actually being spoken of. What we have going on here in Daniel 7 is is a depiction, a characterization of earthly kingdoms, of, of earthly powers, of earthly rulers, earthly empires that are vicious and destructive, Empires that are that find themselves having this power and this authority and, and, and abusing it. And what we ultimately have here in the latter part of our passage is these earthly empires being brought to justice in the in the heavenly courts. Right? The deep waters are a theme throughout the Bible of chaos. If you remember the the um, the early chapters of the book of Genesis, when 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 creation is described, we're told that in the beginning the earth was formless and void. It was chaos, right? And, and the darkness covered the uh, and, and darkness covered the darkness. Sorry, covered the face of the earth over the waters of the earth. There's chaos there in the in the beginning of creation, and God brings order to that chaos. When God rescues Israel from Egypt, He led them up out of the waters of Egypt, out of the, the symbolic chaos of slavery in Egypt. Here in Daniel seven, there are some beasts that are allowed out of the chaos of the deep, and they're they're given authority. And you know what they represent? They they represent human kingdoms. I mean it it's not hard for us we'll we'll talk a little bit about this but it's not hard to imagine what sort of human kingdoms uh, are represented by these beasts but first and foremost in Daniel's day is is looking at the kingdoms of the land and being able to identify man this is these are kingdoms that are taking over that they're that are succeeding one another in power and authority and causing destruction and and, and damage now in Daniel's immediate context many scholars uh, understand these, these kingdoms to be, or the beast to be representative of the Babylonians, and then the Medes, and the Persians, and then eventually the Greeks, right? But, but here's what I'm not going to do this morning. I, I'm not going to necessarily go into connecting specific beasts with specific empires or leaders, and, and here's my reason why, right? This is important for us to understand. Here's my reason why. Because the beasts in Daniel's vision weren't meant to describe only one nation and on, at only one time right? Daniel's dream was not meant to just tell us about what happened to the Babylonians or the Medes or the Persians. Daniel's dream was given to him to describe the character of earthly empires throughout history. Nebuchadnezzar was obviously a horrific king, right? You you read earlier on the chapters of of Daniel, you, you see some things he did. He conquers nations, he enslaves the people he conquers, he, he forces them out of their homeland and into a foreign land where they're disoriented and, and, and forces them to worship him. And if they don't worship him, he threatens them with death, even being burned alive. But, but here's the thing, Nebuchadnezzar, he's not the only one of his kind, right? I, I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar was an evil man, but he's not the only evil king to ever have lived on this earth. Many earthly empires ha- have been led, led by kings like him since. So the beasts in Daniel's dream don't only describe four kings and kingdoms of Daniel's day. We need to see these images and beasts like we might understand the, ter- the, the stereotypes of, of political cartoons, right? In our political cartoons about Republicans and Democrats, we see pictures of elephants and donkeys, don't we? But no matter how many, times, how many changes we've had in political leadership, these cartoons continue to be relevant. They they continue to depict the stereotypes of a Republican and a Democrat. And and so it is in Daniel's dream. These beasts are a caricature of earthly kings and kingdoms. They they depicted fierceness and cruelty. They depicted nations with reputations for strength and destruction. They they fit the typical description of, of arrogant leaders with selfish ambitions thinking only of themselves, not really of the people that they're calling to lead. They they depict leaders who are power-hungry. So, for example, many scholars believe that the the little horn, that that these ten big horns are kings, and this little horn is a king that raises up among them and and destroys three kings. And, and, And specifically... In terms of history, many scholars have likened this little horn to being uh, the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes in the 2nd century B.C. But these same uh, scholars agree that in Jesus' day, Rome fits the description of this little horn. Right there, There's a Jewish historian named Josephus who in his account of, uh, uh, of the Jewish nation's history and, and teaching will skip over Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 in his, in, in his Jewish antiquities. Because he's afraid of proclaiming and, and, and highlighting the fact that Rome, under whose persecution he was living, was this little horn. He was afraid of being persecuted himself because he identified this nation as being this little horn in Daniel 7. So he, he actually avoids drawing attention to Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 for that, for that reason, we believe. Where I guess it's not, not guaranteed that that's why, but... But we believe that that's why he avoids it. And that's why we're not going to avoid it today, church, right? We're going to pick it up. We're going to have fun with it. See, many of these same scholars see examples of these types of leaders throughout history. So what are we to make of this? Are, are these scholars wrong? Are they, are they wrong to identify one earthly power at one point in history? Or is it possible that Daniel's dream depicts a character of types of earthly powers? I personally believe it's the latter of these two. I think that that, that there have been examples of more than one earthly kingdom and and earthly empire that that has uh, fulfilled what these caricatures are, are painted for us in Daniel's dream. Nation after nation throughout history has fit these descriptions of beasts in Daniel 7. History has repeated itself time and time again as earthly rulers and earthly kingdoms have fit the stereotype of this, of this lion eagle, this leopard, this, this bear, and this little horn. Think of the powers involved in World War I. I mean, let's, let's be a little less abstract. Let's think specifically of, of the leaders in World War II and the Holocaust, do you think that maybe these de- depictions of beasts could, could describe what the leaders and their motivation were of, of, of the Nazis and the Holocaust? What about the violence that went on in, in wars like the Korean War, the Vietnam, Vietnamese War? The, or what about the, the Rwandan genocide, right? The violence that went on between the, the, the Tutsis and the Hutus the genocides in Bosnia, e- even, even the, the civil war here in America. Do, do I need to go on giving examples of, of the vicious atrocities that man has committed against one another, being led by these evil and wicked empires and powers? So I think the beasts of Daniel 7 fit a type of earthly kingdom, uh, kingdoms that were destined to repeat themselves until God intervenes with the fourth beast. We, we see earthly kingdoms destined to repeat themselves because they're led by, by wicked and evil people, until Daniel sees this vision of the fourth beast, the one with the ten, little, or the ten horns and the little horn with the arrogant mouth. And after this fourth beast comes to power in Daniel's dream, something very important happens, something that is necessary for us to to see unfolding. In verse 9 and 10, a courtroom is being set up. Daniel records, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. See, what Daniel envisions here is a courtroom being set up, a heavenly courtroom being set up and put on, and these earthly kingdoms being put on trial. God, the ancient of days, sits on his throne, sits in judgment, and these earthly kingdoms are brought before him where he can judge these nations. And so what follows in the passage is God's judgment. First on this fourth beast and then on all the others. Verses 11 to 12. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So the future destiny of the kingdoms of this world is judgment is destruction. You may look at the events of our world, you may look back on history of the of nations that have been in power, and you may sense despair and, and anguish and, 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 and anger at what evil has been allowed to go on. But their destiny is sure. Not just destruction and, and being judged to be evil and wicked, but, but, but a removal of whatever authority and power they once held or thought they held. Right? Church, when we look at the world around us, it is 100% normal to feel despair, to, 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 to feel anguish over the leadership of the nations in our world. Right now, there are civil wars going on in nations around this world, battles waged against people who are power-hungry, selfish being led by by wicked values and morals. And so it's normal for us to to feel that despair over the leadership of the nations. It's normal and necessary for us to, to realize also that we will not experience the relief we hope for in things like the conclusion to the conflict in Ukraine. Yeah, we want the war to end and for the oppression of Russia to be justly judged. We we want some, some recompense for the evil that has gone on. But what Daniel reminds us of is this. That the kingdom of man will not give us justice. No matter how that war unfolds, your soul will not be satisfied with that outcome. Justice Will not be realized because of what one nation has done to another nation. Even our own country, as proud as we are of it, cannot give us the, the justice and the hope that we long for. It feels, to me, it feels like our country is divided more today than ever before, right? If you look back over the past 10 or 20 years, it's been, it seems like it's been more tragedy, things like tragedy that have united us than, than the leadership of our country. See, in fact, I think the earthly powers in our nation and the nations around us have done more to divide us than to unite us. But this shouldn't be a surprise to us as children of God. This shouldn't be a surprise to followers of Jesus. See, we were we were never meant to find our hope and our security in the kingdoms of mankind. We, we were never meant to, to 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 find comfort in the security that our nation provides us. The kingdoms of mankind have a destiny, and that destiny is to be brought before the ancient of days, God, and be judged insufficient. To be removed from their place of power and authority, Their destiny would be that they, they, they would lose their kingdoms, they would be destroyed. But God, but God does something else in taking their dominion away. He gives it to one like the Son of Man. Listen to verse 13 and 14. "I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting lasting div- dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. See, ultimately... God will take the authority of these earthly kingdoms, this power that mankind has has grown comfortable exercising, he'll remove it from man, and he'll give it to the the one who Daniel describes riding on the clouds here in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Now, it's interesting to note that throughout the Old Testament, it's Yahweh who comes riding on the clouds, right? It's interesting to note that in the New Testament, It's Jesus who describes himself over 80 times as the Son of Man. 80 plus times, sorry. On more than one occasion, when Jesus gets done teaching a crowd, we're told that they were left with a sensation that that Jesus was unlike any leader or power or authority that they'd ever come across, and that he was one who taught with authority. At the end of uh, the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 7, you know what? We're told how the crowds responded to this, this sermon, this famous sermon that he's given. Look at what Matthew records in chapter 7, verse 28 to 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. See, what the people had a glimpse of is that Jesus has an authority that is unlike any authority they've seen in this world that their religious leaders could not not convey to them, Jesus was one who had authority. Before Jesus leaves his disciples, when he commissions them, you know the great commission, uh, the end of Matthew that we love to recite and and be led by and, and be challenged by? How does Jesus begin that commission? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me because of that authority that's been given to Jesus, he sends forth his disciples to go and make more disciples, rooted in the fact that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. In Acts, after Jesus ascends into heaven on the clouds after his resurrection, his disciples are standing there staring up into the, into the sky, and, and some angels come and say to them, what are you doing? This same Messiah, the same man who you just saw ascend into the, into the heaven in the clouds, will come again in the same way you saw him, will come again riding on the clouds. Church, the reason why I'm saying this is because I need us to understand that Jesus is this fulfillment of the Son of Man riding on the clouds to whom the Ancient of Days gives all authority and dominion. Right? This matters to us. God has already given Jesus the keys to the kingdom. When Jesus came, when Jesus was born in a manger, right, it's significant because there's a new era that's being ushered in. The kingdom of heaven is here in Jesus Christ. The ancient of days has given authority and dominion to one like the Son of Man, the the man Jesus Christ. And so we're living for Jesus' kingdom. We find ourselves living here in the United States, living as as good citizens under the, the rule and reign of our nation. But we are citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom led by King Jesus, who's been given authority and dominion, whose kingdom will never pass away and will never be destroyed. And that kingdom is here now. It's not someday in the future. It's our reality right now. Jesus has come, and because he's come, we're invited to become, by faith, new creatures living in a new creation, that kingdom being right now. And so this courtroom scene where God judges the broken kingdoms of man and establishes a new kingdom in Jesus Christ should give us hope. We we don't need to be overwhelmed with fear and despair at what's going on in our world today, because we know that our, our, our future is not dependent on the outcome of the conflicts of this world. When we look at earthly rulers and earthly empires for our, our peace and our hope, we're going to be overwhelmed with fear and despair, won't we? Because we felt the discouragement, we felt the disappointment, we felt the uncertainty of what future is ours under their leadership. But our hope isn't in our economy stabilizing or the next election It's not in the outcome of the conflicts in our world. We know where all that's heading. It's a dead end for our hope. Our hope is only found in the king that God has anointed and given authority and dominion to for all eternity. So brothers and sisters, do not despair or be overcome with fear. Don't look at the world around you and and try to find some semblance of hope or seed of of hope. No matter how evil or corrupt our our world leaders or powers may be, we know what its destiny is. But you are not of this world. You you are not of this world dependent on the outcome of these leaders you are not of this world. You are a citizen of the kingdom of the Son of Man. So, so let's start living like it. In light of this future that we are certain of, let's start living like it now. Live with a sure and certain confidence in God's present and future kingdom. So this morning, as we begin to close our time together, I want to challenge us. Because as often as is true of of things in the faith. It's one thing for us to sit here on Sunday morning talking about them and and saying yes to God's word. It's a whole other thing to live it out. And so the question we need to be asking ourselves is this. how How are we to live our lives with this hope and confidence in God's future kingdom while living among these earthly kingdoms? How are we to be a people of hope and confidence in what lies ahead Even now, while we live among these earthly kingdoms, while we see conflict going on in in, in kingdoms around the world, when we want to do good, but we are limited by our own resources and and we can't change the outcome of what's happening in these foreign lands, how are we to live as citizens of God's kingdom right now? Well, I'm going to just close with with one more short passage because you and I are in luck because our circumstances are not new today. This has been going on since Jesus found, this has been going on before Jesus founded his church, but our hope is in how Jesus formed his church and founded his church. Because in our New Testaments, one of the, the men that Jesus commissioned to go forth uh, go, goes and speaks to a group of, of Christians, of followers of Jesus, who find themselves spread throughout Asia because of persecution. Peter writes to a group of believers in in his second letter who are dealing with fear and uncertainty about their future, right? They've faced persecution. They've, they've, They've been kind of like scattered throughout the land. And listen to what Peter tells them to encourage them in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says this, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, While we wait for Jesus to return on the clouds of heaven, what does Peter say? Be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. Before even that, he says, be reminded of that promise that we're waiting for a new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, since you're waiting for these, be diligent, right? Not casual, not not kind of Happenstance, be dedicated, be committed, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish in that peace. Language about spot or blemish is sacrificial language, right? The lamb that was led to the slaughter was one that was found to be without spot or blemish, right? You know how how we how we have, or how we can be found to be without spot or blemish? Trusting in Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. That we would be clothed in his righteousness. That we would be found to be without spot or blemish because when God looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so, Peter's first encouragement is to be steadfast in your faith. Believe what is right and true. That you are without spot or blemish because of your faith in what Jesus has done on your behalf. And so, be at peace with God. That's where our peace comes from. In our dependence upon the work that Christ has done on our behalf. To be steadfast and faithful in this truth, in this reality, is what Peter encourages us to do. No matter what's going on in the world around us, no matter what circumstances we're dealing with day to day in our world, hold on to that truth that you are without spot or blemish because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Cling to that in faith. Don't, don't let your, your concerns, your, your worries be guided by the circumstances of this world. Let them be rooted in the reality that you are a child of God, that you've been bought with a price, that price being Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave that ensures that you will be viewed by God. You are seen and understood and known by God as one without spot or blemish. And the fruit of that is peace with God. And then he says, Peter says to them, you Go on growing. Let that be the focus. Don't don't focus on, on worrying about what's going on in the world. Focus on growing in your faith. Growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are ways that we can do that. When we gather here on Sunday for worship, it's not just to feed my ego because look at all these people that are getting together. That's not why we're here. We are here to encourage one another, to remind one another what our focus needs to be in these days as we live as citizens of the kingdom of God in, under the, the rule and reign of earthly empires. It is to focus on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's, let's encourage one another. Don't, don't let me be the only voice we hear this Sunday morning. Let's encourage one another to, to, to be rooted and grounded in, in faith. So let's show up each week determined to worship the Lord together. Let's celebrate our faith, our shared faith in Christ together every week. Make it your goal this year to grow in your faith in Jesus. Maybe that looks like reading your Bible more often. Maybe it looks like joining, like getting together regularly with another believer and and kind of talking about God's word together. But let Jesus be at the core of that goal to grow in your knowledge grace. So don't be overcome with worry for this world. Be at peace with God. Be, Be like that weaned child, not worrying about where your next meal will come from or how you'll stay warm. Be like a weaned child, steadfast, rooted in the Lord. Church, be at peace knowing that our future is certain because our future is certainly in his hands. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have you've given even something as strange and obscure as a vision and dream like this to Daniel. Lord, I pray, just knowing what what types of earthly kingdoms are uh, are, are a reality in this world, that we would no longer need to fear them or, or or despair what's going on in this world, because we also know we also know that courtroom scene in heaven where you, Father, will sit on the throne of judgment and, and, and not just judge what evil and wickedness has happened, but judge Jesus to be worthy of all authority and dominion. And you, you've given him those, the keys of that kingdom, a kingdom available to us all through faith in Jesus, through saying yes to Jesus as our king and ruler. So, Lord, make us into, shape us as citizens of your kingdom. Encourage us to remain rooted and grounded and steadfast in our faith that that we too might learn to live clinging to the hope that we have through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
0: song that we're going to sing today is only a holy God and like as I think of what Pastor Dan read and just that like the ancient of days has that power to give the authority to the one that's like a son of man you know like who could do that and the answer is only a holy God and so let's stand and sing this together this morning. who else commands all the hosts of heaven who else can make every king bow down
1: Enjoy a, a meal together, some fellowship together. So I want to pray for that food. Before I do, though, I want to encourage you: introduce yourselves to the Hughes family and the Slaski family, and congratulate them, and, and just remind them that you are there to encourage them and support them as they raise their children. As they raise Logan and James to, to know and love the Lord. Let me pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our food, and then go and fellowship together around the table. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. That you are a holy God. May that truth, that reality. Give us strength and hope as we go out to live by faith in this world. May you bless the food that we're going to share and the fellowship around the table. May it all be for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.